0: Time for you to go to college. This is one of the lectures that I have from my book that I put together a couple of years ago, about 30, on the uh, book of hermeneutics, The Art of Biblical Interpretation. Don't that sound impressive? Uh, what it means is it's just rightly dividing the Word of God. But what I want to do is show you a few things that I think will help you in understanding some things about the fifth dispensation. I call it the fifth one because five is a number of grace. Seven is number of completion. And uh, eight is number of new beginnings. And uh, it's just that God has numbers that uh, mean some things. Forty, number of testing. And uh, you don't want that one. But anyway, take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians and chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is your homework assignment. Well, you should have to memorize these verses, but we're going to let it go for today. But in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, and look there in verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, and it talks about the mystery. A mystery is not like a murder mystery. It's a truth that has been hidden in times past, but now revealed for the first time. Sometimes there's hints toward it, just like in the Old Testament, you'll find where God had referred a little bit to the time in which you and I live, called the Church Age, the Grace Age, but not really revealed in the sense of what it is, when it starts, when it stops, and the purpose of it, until the Apostle Paul comes along and God revealed these things to him. And it makes a statement there in verse uh, 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, if the people who were living at the time of Christ were so smart, and they were so wise... Why did they crucify him? It shows you the intelligence (laughs) of man. Not very smart, is he? Not when you have the prince of glory here and all the prophecy they had been given, and yet they did not know who he was. Now, if you'll look up here on this chart, God deals in different times with his children and giving them various responsibilities. We call that a, a dispensation. Uh, is also the word akoinamos, which is actually it's a, a word that deals with stewardship. Uh, it's uh, the order of a house where you have servants who have responsibilities. So God has given to Adam and Eve, he gave them a responsibility. You enjoy everything except don't do that one thing, you know, not to eat the fruit off that one tree. And so they had a responsibility, but there's also consequences. So they disobeyed and there was a consequence. They had to leave that beautiful... Island of Paradise, and um, the Bible says, and they would die. So they died that very day. They were severed from the life of God in the sense of their fellowship with Him, but also they died physically. Even though it took a few years, so we call that the dispensation of innocence. They see they were not created perfect like you and I think of being perfect. If you're perfect, then how could they have sinned? They were created innocent. They had no sinful nature, but they had the capacity to sin. Like I can have a glass sitting up here and no water in it, but it has the capacity to hold water. But anyway, they rebelled and there was a consequence. Every dispensation, there are responsibilities and consequences. And so as you go down through every one of them, there are consequences. That's why there's judgments after every one of them. Now, when you come to the dispensation of law where God had given to, uh, to Abraham uh, the promise. But it says the law was added to the promise. So that's why I always had the law added to the promise. And some people make it a different dispensation, and I don't have no problem with that. I don't care if you come out with seven or you come out with eight. It's just that you know that God deals with people in a particular way regarding a man's responsibility and the consequences or the blessings of either failing or fulfilling that responsibility. So you and I are supposed to be wiser than all the others because we know this and we understand this. So all we have to do is find out, well, what is our responsibility? When did the dispensation of grace begin? And when does it end? And what does God expect from us? See, we're not really here in the sense of trying to change this world. Our main focus right now is getting people from this world into the next one. Getting people to trust Christ as Savior. That is our main ministry. And to teach all nations. Now in teaching all nations these great truths, it could change nations. But that's the result of obeying the command of winning souls. Because you don't teach and educate everybody until they really understand the gospel. Preach the gospel. And teaching and baptizing and all those things. So those are the results down the road of a person knowing the Lord and growing in the Lord. So the law was added to the promise, but it did not disannul the promise, even though the promise was 430 years before the law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And so God gave a promise that everybody would be justified by faith. The law was added to show people they could not save themselves by their work, so the law Pointed people to Christ. They needed a Savior. That's why they were sac- there were sacrifices made, because all sacrifices pointed to Christ. So when Christ came and died on the cross, now sometimes people put the cross as the end of that dispensation. And uh, if they want to, that I don't have any problem with that. I just bring it all the way over as a consequence of the people not accepting Christ as their Messiah. And under the dispensation of law, I take it to the fall of the temple in Jerusalem, which was in 70 A.D. But I do believe that the church age started before that. The church age, I believe, started on the day of Pentecost. Now, any other date before or after, we call it a hyper-dispensationalist. And so... I do not believe that it started with John the Baptist because he was a Baptist and there's Baptist churches. So it had to start with John the Baptist. I I believe John the Baptist was an Old Testament prophet. And uh, he died before Christ was crucified. So he died under Old Testament dispensation of law, in my humble opinion. Now, you don't have to agree with everything that I say. You'll be wrong, but no. But I I do want you to follow my logic. Now, I did my chart, you know, in 1969. So that was a couple years ago. I don't even know how long ago. (laughs) But it's been a while ago. And so when you're young trying to understand all these things and put it all together, you don't get everything exactly right. But, you know, you you try it. There's not a lot of things that I've changed over the years. Uh, The only thing I've changed is my appearance. I don't look the same as I used to. Now, doctrine-wise, I believe pretty much the same as I already have. But now, what I want you to do is take your Bible and look there in the book of um, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians and chapter 3. Now, there are those who believe that the teaching on dispensations is something that's rarely new. But if I had never read any book on dispensation and just reading the Bible... I would have to come to the conclusion that there are dispensations. You say Why? Because it's in the Bible. You see there in chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, I just want you to look there real quick. Look there in verse 2. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me. So we know that the dispensation of grace was given to the Apostle Paul, and therefore it is during this period of time. Now, because of that f- way it's worded here and phrase, uh, many people believe that the church started with Paul, and so it didn't start on the day of Pentecost. So they believe it started afterwards, and if it started afterwards, then the command to be baptized is not required. Nobody has to be baptized. So they do away with that. And they say, well, uh, that's not part of the dispensational responsibility, but Paul did make this statement. He says, I, um, "I I didn't baptize a lot of people, but I did baptize a few." And this and this and this, because he says, "God sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel." But that was the Apostle Paul to win people to the Lord, and that was his main concern. But he didn't say anything against being baptized, and that he had baptized and was after he was saved. So I still see that. Baptism is a part of our responsibility, one of the ordinances that we have of the church. And notice what he says here in verse 3. How that by revelation he hath made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages, that's other periods of time, periods of time is other dispensation, was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And this is what it was, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. So they didn't know that God was going to, by the gospel and people believing the gospel, take believing Gentiles and believing Jews and put them together in one body and form something totally new. They knew there was Israel. They knew there was the Gentiles, but now the church of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it talks about these three things, the Jews, the Gentiles, the church of God. So God has laid it out in his word. And then he says in verse 7, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me. And then he makes this statement in verse 8, unto me who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Because, see, he was a Jew preaching to the Gentiles. And then it says in verse 9, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. So, you see, these things were not all of a sudden made up Because Adam and Eve sinned. God had a plan before the first man was ever created. This was in eternity past. God had all of this in His mind about what He was going to do and what was going to happen. And so Christ's coming was not an afterthought. It was a purpose that all men might know the love of God. And without all of this, you and I would never understand the love of God. We wouldn't know that God loved us, we wouldn't know about forgiveness, we wouldn't know about grace, we wouldn't know about mercy, we wouldn't know about justice, we wouldn't know about righteousness. All we would be is created beings, puppets on a string, doing whatever we were programmed to do. Now God has somebody who loves Him. And we know what love is. And in this was manifested the love of God toward us, that Christ died for us. So anyway, uh, that's one of the main purposes of man being created, the fall and the redemption. And so we have been given to us the dispensation of the grace of God. Now, there is a, um, a portion of this that I do overlapping. And if you'll look there in your notes, you'll see where I have the uh, arrows going over, crossing. Now you could have it to where they ended on one date, one stopped and one started, and people could still live in the ends of both dispensations. But I believe there's an overlapping of this because it's a transition from one to the other. It don't happen like that. But anyway, take your Bible and turn there to the book of First Corinthians in chapter 10. First Corinthians and chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and uh, look up there in verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. The ends of the world is the ends of the ages are come. It means that there's people living here Upon whom the ends of the ages are come. So it means to me that they lived in the ends of both dispensations. And this is where, during this period of time, this transition period right here, is where you have your sign gifts. Because it's transitioning from the dispensation of law into the dispensation of the grace of God. And because of that, there's things that God says will take place during this transition period. And the reason is, is because the sign gifts were God's confirmation upon His word. You see, they didn't have the complete word of God. So take your Bible, look in the book of Mark, Mark in chapter 16. Yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Mark, chapter 16. And you'll notice up there in uh, verse 15. Verse 15. Christ has come back from the dead, and he said unto them, in verse 15, Go you into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. I believe that this is not actually a baptism of water, but uh, being cleansed. But anyway, in verse 17, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now, so because of this, there's many people who take this and apply that today and say, well, if uh, you really believe, then you can drink poison, and it won't hurt you. A snake, rattlesnake, can bite you, and it won't hurt you. And uh, you'll have the ability to speak in tongues and the healing and all that. So all these things are put into this period of time. But most people don't really look at it close enough because there's always a sense of superiority over somebody else. If I can claim to have something you don't have, I've got the power. I've got the power. I've got the Holy Spirit power. And I can do this and that and the other. And so there is a certain Self-fulfillment. The flesh loves the pride and the ability to have or to do something somebody else can't do. But notice what he says. He says, now, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and then he says there in verse 19, so then, remember now, we're reading in the book of Mark that was written after Christ had already crucified and come back from the dead. So this was written later. So he says, so then after the Lord had spoken unto them, that's past tense, he was received up into heaven, that's past tense, and sat on the right hand of God. That's all past tense. In verse 20, and they went, that's past tense, and preached, that's past tense, Everywhere, and get this, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. So they were told what to do, his disciples. They went, they did, and the Lord confirmed what they said and what they did with signs. It happened. By the time you're reading Mark, it's a done deal. They did what he said do, and... The signs followed, like he said. Now, there's no promise in these verses that we are going to be able to continue doing those all the rest of our lives. It's not there. This is past tense. They did, they went, they preached, it happened. It's a historical event. Just like the book of Acts and the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it's a historical event, but you do not find anywhere in the Scriptures a command to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Because it is an event that takes place the day and the moment you trusted Christ as your Savior. You're baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Christ is the baptizer. He baptizes you with the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And so this was the secret that nobody knew in the Old Testament. It was a mystery that was hidden in time past, but now revealed for the first time. Now take your Bible and turn over there to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. Hebrews in chapter 1. Hebrews, make it chapter 2. First mistake I've made this morning. (laughs) But Hebrews in chapter 2, and look in verse 1. He says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the Word, and we're talking about the Word now, the Word spoken By angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, get this now, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. And get these words, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Now get the sequence, very important where he makes the statement, he says, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. And verse 4, and God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. So they heard Christ speak. And they had the word confirmed unto them by them that heard him. And it was confirmed by them doing the signs and the miracles. And this is where this took place. Now, that's why today the transition has been complete. We have the complete word of God. We don't need sign gifts. Those were given to the baby church like a little child in the nursery likes to play with baby rattlers. Not rattlers, I mean a rattle. Not rattlesnakes. Please don't misunderstand me. And so they had sign gifts. And so babies like toys. And he says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, I put away childish things when I grew up. In other words, I don't need those. The church... As a babe, being born, don't need those toys anymore. Why? Because we are growing up as a body of believers, and the church is maturing in the Lord, and we have the complete Word of God. So we don't need those toys anymore. And there's people today that are you still know, hanging on to their little toys, and they don't even exist today. You say, well, I know people that have done this and this and this and that. No, you had people who have an experience but it's not the biblical talk. I know every verse in this book on tongue. Every verse. I can quote above it and below it. I do not have a desire to get the baptism of the Holy Ghost and have a fire shoot down my body and fire from my fingers and to shout and jump and hoop and holler and rant and rave and roll and no. That's not the Holy Spirit. He's given us the spirit of a sound mind. And he never gave any of those gifts to the women. He says the women keep silent in the church. That means it was never given to the women. But anyway, as you go through it and you learn where things belong, it will help you to understand the rest of Scripture and what are my responsibilities. So you got to go back to where does it all begin? And so if you look there... And 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians and chapter 12. Looky there. 1 Corinthians and chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And you'll notice there in verse 12 and verse 13. These two verses I want you to see. It says, For as the body is one, and hath many members, all the members of that one body, then many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. So here in Corinth, we're the most rebellious Christians you've ever read about. I mean, they were the ungodliest of Christians. They were carnal-minded Christian, and yet Paul says, we have all been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. All these Christians that were this rebellious, and yes, they were still baptized and put into the body of Christ. And not because of any good thing that they've done. This is what happens when you trust Christ as your Savior. Christ puts you into the body of Christ. So he says, whether we be uh, Jews or Gentiles, bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So then the question comes down is, well, when did this body begin? says, we've all been baptized into the body. So then you find out, well, how do you know where it begins? Where did they have the first baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because that's the only way you get into the body. So you go back to the book of Acts. Go back to Acts. The book of Acts in chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And you'll notice when he makes the statement in verse 4. Remember John chapter 14, he had made the statement He says, I am going to send to you the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father. I will pray the Father, and He shall send you the Holy Spirit, that He may indwell you forever. And in verse 26, And this spake He of the Holy Spirit, which they that believe on Him should receive. So those who believe on the Lord, and He shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So the Holy Spirit came as a result of a prayer Christ made, not as a result of a prayer that the people made on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit did not come on that day because they all got together and all prayed and prayed down the Holy... No, it did not. He came right on schedule, 50 days from the resurrection. It was right on the money, honey. It's what the book says. And so the Holy Spirit came as a result of a promise that Christ made to His apostles. Disciple. Remember what John the Baptist said? He says, I baptize you with water, but there come one after me. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it hadn't happened in his lifetime. It didn't happen in Christ's lifetime. So the promise was still out there to be fulfilled. So look what he says in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father which said that ye have heard of me. What were they waiting for? The fulfillment of the promise. They didn't bring the promise. The promise came because Christ says the Holy Spirit is coming. He had already asked the Father. And so then he says in verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days in. Not many days from now you're going to be baptized. And this was about 40 days yet to go. Talked about the 40 days in verse 3. But anyway, you know that it was going to happen. And then in verse 8, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. The word power is be the right, the authority. Because the Holy Spirit is going to come and indwell you, all believers, And when the Holy Spirit indwells you, you are indwelt by the Spirit, placed into the body of Christ, and God gave the great commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, but then in the book of Luke chapter 24 He says, but wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So even though they were commanded to go before Christ died, they were not to go until the day of Pentecost, till the Spirit came. So the command, the Great Commission, was given to the church. And this is where some people don't believe the Great Commission was given to the church because they say, well, He gave that to His disciples and the church wasn't started until the Apostle Paul. Christ did give the command in Matthew 28 and also in the book of Luke, but they weren't supposed to go until they were in with the power. So the command wasn't to, give, to go until then, until that very day. So, anyway, in the book of uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, look what he said in verse 32, Acts chapter 2, verse 32. Then Jesus, this Jesus hath God raised up from whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and get this, having received of the Father the promise of what? The Holy Spirit. He had shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. So between this verse and in chapter 1 and verse 4, something had to have happened. Because he says, He's coming, the Holy Spirit. You're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And this verse says it's already happened. So somewhere between these two verses, I bet you can't find out where it is. It happened. So in chapter 2 and verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, Pentecost is 50 days on schedule. Even the type is mentioned in the book of Leviticus in chapter 23, the wave offering. This is prophesied, and it happened right on schedule. And the Holy Spirit did not come because they were all gathered together in prayer in one accord. It did not. It came because the Father fulfilled the promise. And the Holy Spirit came. And then it says, and they all heard them speak in their own language. There's nothing about unknown tongues in these scriptures. Unknown language. There was always a language of the people who were there on the day of Pentecost. Jews who came together for Passover on this special occasion. And they heard them speak in their own words. Look here in verse 6. And... Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his what? His own language. His own language. And it says up here in verse 5, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout women. Did I read something wrong? Devout men. Out of every nation under heaven. And they were able to hear the gospel presentation. On one day. And they were able to go back to all these nations. At one time. It's awesome. And get this in verse 8. And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. So did they understand what they heard? Yes. They not only heard it. They could understand. It was an unknown. If the language is unknown, it has no purpose. And then he says, as you get out through here in verse 11, and he names all the different places, and Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. means they heard it and they understood what they were saying. So the baptism took place. Now, take your Bible and turn over there to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. The Bible says that there was a man by the name of Cornelius, and he was a devout religious man, just not saved. And so, anyway, Peter goes to preach to him the gospel. So when he preaches the gospel to him, and then a whole bunch of them trust the Lord, and see there in verse 34, uh, Peter opened his mouth Instead of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The words which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. In verse 30, that word that you know. Find in verse 40, him God raised up the third day. All this is about to, look in verse 43. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name. Old Testament prophets preached that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sin. So the scripture here tells us that the Old Testament prophets told people to put their trust in Jesus Christ. Or did I misread that? I think that's what it says. And so they believed it and then they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in languages that people could understand. And on this occasion, they spoke in the language where there's some Jews that had gone with them who didn't believe that the Gentiles could be saved, and no and behold, they heard them speak in their language. Kind of shut their mouth a little bit. Now, look there in Acts chapter 11, and look in verse 12 as this is being rehearsed back there in Jerusalem at the church. As he rehearsed, he says, and the spirit bade me go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren, Jews, accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. He showed us how he had seen an angel in the house, uh, which stood and said unto him, send men to Jopp and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the, and you ought to underline this word, beginning. When did it begin? When was the first time it ever took place? So that's why I believe that the church started on the day of Pentecost because that's when the baptism took place, placing the Jews into the body, And then chapter 10, placing Gentiles into the body. And so in this body of believers, Jews and Gentiles, all people for the last 2,000 years are part of the body of Christ. And so this is something you need to know. But now when does this body end? When does the dispensation of grace end? Anybody in here ever heard of the rapture? It's not rupture, it's rapture. It means every believer in Christ, obedient or disobedient, carnal or spiritual, when the Lord comes in the air, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, I don't have time to cover all these notes that I've got down here for you. I, I wished I did, but well, let me take a stab at it. I've still got a, a few minutes. Take your Bible and turn to the book of First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians in chapter four. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the verses that we usually read for the rapture and showing you that the rapture is different from the revelation. Uh, See up here? The rapture, revelation. Rapture is when He comes for His saints. Revelation is when He comes with His saints. Here He comes in the air to get us and take us out Here He comes with us all the way to the earth, and we rule with the Lord upon the earth for a thousand years. So as you go back here, there's a seven-year tribulation period, the worst period of time the world has ever known. Let me ask you a question. As you look upon the world scene today, do you believe that things are getting better or worse? You know, and there's people that are right now worried because we've lost so much of our food supply in America. They're putting it in the gas tanks, a lot of it. And then we're shipping it out, and then we're getting a lot of food from other countries. Do you realize it wouldn't take much for this whole world to be in a, uh, not only an economic disaster, which we're there, but food? Do you realize what people will do when they get hungry? And it won't take much. And the Bible says in the tribulation period, He says, there's going to be mass famines upon the earth. It ought to make you just, you know, a little bit knowledgeable about what's coming upon the scene. We got to be close. We got to be close. Maybe today. But in verse 13 down to verse 18, talks about the rapture, where he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. He said, But we do have hope, we know the truth. And he says in verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with them? Then he talks about the Lord is going to come in the air, and uh, we're going to be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye, and caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, verse 18. Therefore, he says, comfort one another with these wonderful words. That's why we usually read these scriptures at a funeral, because we want people to know, hey, this isn't the end of it. This isn't the end. For us, th- this is a beginning, and those who know the Lord should not fear death. It's just a doorway. So, well, I've just never done it before. I know what you mean. But in chapter five, uh, there's some interesting verses here, and it's sometimes difficult to explain all of these. But in verse one, he says, "But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night." Uh, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in that darkness uh, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. (laughs) Therefore let us not sleep as do others, and let us watch and be sober. Uh, Isn't that clear, Isabel? Well, as you read it, uh, try to understand this. This is a day... And this is a day, and this is a night. You see, usually two days are separated by a night. You didn't know that? See, just look how much you learn just by coming to church. There's today, and then there's tomorrow, but there's probably a night separating the two. So the Bible talks about us and we, they and them, and then he says, this day will not come, this day right here, will not come until they first come they catching away. And then shall the man of sin be revealed. And when they say peace and safety, first part, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, not us. You see, when the rapture takes place, we are taken out of here. We're delivered. We do not go into the seven years. Why? This this seven-year period of time actually belongs to the dispensation of law. Because, you see, that's the main judgment of God pouring out His wrath because they rejected the Messiah as their Savior. This is the 70th week of Daniel. Up until the cross, see, it was 483 years. 69 weeks of seven years each. That's why you get the 483 years, but there was be 490 years. So there's a seven-year period someplace that got lost, and it was shoved out here. Now, when the rapture takes place and all this is gone, this slides up to here, and lo and behold, it just flows right on through like it never meets a beat. So this is where we're headed. And Christ's coming, in most places, says, as a thief in the night, this is here, not here. So when you study the Scriptures, it helps make it a little bit clear. Now, I haven't got it all worked out, but I'm, I'm still working on a few of the little pieces of puzzle that I'm not sure. But I know I'll get it down one of these days, and if I don't get it right, I'm just going to ask O oh, Ishmael back there to straighten me out on all this stuff. But anyway. I hope that you understand it just a little bit better. You and I, we are children of the day, the light, not of the night. We and us is different from they and them. And this night separates these two days. And as you read that down through there, it'll enlighten it just a little bit. So glad to have you here. I realize you may never come again. But I love you, I love America, I love the Lord, I love His Word. But whether we ever change anything in this nation, I want you to know how to go to heaven. So let me tell you, real quickly, the best news in the world. Letting this hand represent you and me. The wallet represents sin, we all have sin on us. God says that He loves us, now He hates our sin but He loves us. But because we've all sinned, we have to pay for it. And that payment is eternal separation from God in hell. God, He doesn't want us to go to hell. He wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, you have to be perfect as righteous as God. And none of us are perfect. None of us are good enough. We're all sinners. We've all come short of God's perfection. But God says you can't earn eternal life. You can't work your way to heaven. So how you live doesn't determine where you go. Because you'll never live good enough that go to heaven. That's why you need a Savior. This hymn represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord, God in the flesh. He came into the world because He loves us, but He hates what we do wrong. And He says our sin separates us from the Lord. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. But because He loved us, He took our sins, paid for them on the cross, came back from the dead. God said that if we would believe that He did it for us, He would put this payment he made to our account, and we get to go to heaven on what he did. No, we don't deserve that. We didn't earn it. He says, by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So salvation, it's free. You don't have to stop something or join anything. All you have to do is trust Christ as your Savior. So right where you're sitting, right now, the quietness of your mind, the Lord knows who you are knows what you've done, knows what you're going to do, still loves you. And he said he would give you as a free gift eternal life if you simply trusted him. So I'm going to ask you in just a moment, we're going to bow our heads, close our eyes, because I don't want you to be embarrassed. But I'm going to ask you, will you trust Jesus Christ right now as your Savior? Will you trust him to take you to heaven when you die? God said if you believe that he did it for you, he would save you right now. I do it this way because I want to know if what I said made sense to you. I'm just being honest with you. And the only way I know to do it is to ask you. And it would be forever if I went down each person and asked, did you trust him? Or did, you trust him or did you trust him? It's a lot easier if you just say, and by that, I know you trusted Christ as your Savior this morning. If what I said this morning made sense to you about how to have eternal life and go to heaven, would you trust him right now? I want you to trust the Lord, I really do. I want you to go to heaven when you die, but right where you're sitting. So, yet makes sense to me, and I want to be certain. Is there anyone at all before we close? Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we thank you so much for all that you've given us, for all that you've given us in your Word. And Lord, there's so much we'll never understand at all, and maybe even get a little bit out of sequence once in a while. But, Father, we we get the gist of it, and we just pray for wisdom. We want to be as accurate as we can. It's your word, and you say to study, to show ourselves approved, a work that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We thank you for each person here and pray your will to be done. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you.